Munaza, it's our last episode for the season. We've talked to so many amazing people this season, Gabby. I hope it was helpful to see all the ways you can explore. But don't forget, we have two more people to interview, Munaza. Wait, who? Us! Oh, right! I'm Gabby Salazar. And I'm Munaza Alam. And we're National Geographic Explorers. And we get the question all the time, how do you become an explorer? And what does an explorer do? Well, we're going to tell you. Okay, first up, Munaza. What do you do? I mean, besides co-host a really great podcast. I'm an astronomer who studies exoplanets or planets outside of the solar system. And specifically what I'm interested in is the weather on these other worlds. Here on our planet Earth, we experience rain, cloudy days, thunderstorms, tornadoes. This weather occurs because the Earth has an atmosphere. Can you tell me about one weather pattern that's on another planet that we don't normally see here on Earth? On Earth, as you go to higher altitudes, like if you're climbing a mountain, the atmosphere gets colder and thinner. But in some planets, called hot Jupiters, which are similar to our solar system's Jupiter, but really close in so they get super hot, we see something different. As you go higher up in the atmosphere, the temperatures actually get hotter. And this is the result of some exotic chemistry happening in the extremely hot temperatures of these planets. Wow. What about you, Gabby? What do you do when you're not podcasting? Well, I'm a conservation photographer. That means that I use photographic images to advocate for environmental protection. And I'm also an environmental social scientist. I look at how environmental messages, campaigns, and education programs influence how people feel about the environment and whether they act in ways that help protect nature, wildlife, and human communities. And you've been on a lot of adventures. Climbing volcanoes with Stephanie Grokey, tracking lions with Claire Fiesler, snorkeling with Jenny Adler. What's been your favorite so far? That's a really hard question. I've loved all of those adventures, but honestly, I really love snorkeling in the freshwater springs with Jenny because they're so close to my home and I can go anytime I feel stressed out or I just need some time in the water. And of course, I really love the manatees that hang out there. One time, a manatee even munched on my leg. Oh no. I really like exploring nearby nature, and I think there's a lot to explore and discover where you live if you're just curious. I completely agree, Gabby. Curiosity is so important. I didn't have any interest in astronomy when I was growing up. I grew up in New York City, where there's a lot of light pollution, so I didn't have a backyard telescope or anything like that. But I was always a very curious kid. I constantly asked my parents why and how. I think it was actually pretty annoying to them. But I also think that it's this curiosity that led me to become a scientist, because asking why and how is a major part of my job doing research. I got into astronomy research when I was in college, and I joined an astronomy research group. Through that, I was exposed to a research environment, meaning that I met other researchers who were asking questions that nobody in the world knew the answer to. It was also through these research experiences that I was able to travel to an observatory for the first time. It was the first time that I had ever traveled to a desert or been on a mountaintop. And it was also the first time that I had seen a really dark night sky. Wow, that's so cool to get that opportunity in college, Munaza. But if you didn't want to be an astronomer as a kid, what did you want to be? You know, I didn't have any job in particular that I envisioned for myself as a kid. While I've always been inclined toward math and science, I'm also an artist and I did a lot of crafts and creative projects as a child. And my parents always supported my interests, whether it was math, chemistry, physics, running, drawing, painting. I think that really helped me to excel multidimensionally. Well, as a kid, I wanted to be a Broadway star. I loved singing and performing. I wasn't a very good singer though. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I also love photography, and my dad, who is an amateur photographer, encouraged me to take pictures of nature. I started photographing all the bugs, birds, and flowers I could find, and I won a couple of big photography contests when I was a teenager, and then I just kept pursuing my interest. And when I started traveling more in college, I kind of became aware of all of the environmental issues and how we're impacting the natural world that I'd come to love so much. I wanted to use photography as a tool to inspire people to care about these issues. Right after college, I got a grant from the National Geographic Society to spend a year in Peru documenting a new highway that was being built across the continent of South America. I wanted to use photography to tell the story of the last section of the highway that was being built in Peru. What was so special about this highway? Why did you want to take pictures of it? Well, it was a section that went from the high Andes Mountains all the way down to the lowland Amazon rainforest, which is a really biodiverse area. That means that there's a lot of species there. Not only did it go through a lot of ecosystems, but those ecosystems were being disrupted in a very real way by the construction of the highway. I created images of the highway's negative impacts, like deforestation, but I also looked at its positive impacts, like helping remote communities access jobs and medical facilities. It really helped me understand that conservation issues are complicated. Later on, I became interested in understanding whether my images were actually making a difference. I went back to school and started taking classes in psychology, anthropology, marketing, and communications to try to understand human attitudes and behavior and how images might influence them. Being a photographer out in the field sounds like an amazing job. I bet you get to see all sorts of animals. It's pretty fun, actually, but it can also be really challenging. A lot of my work involves photographing wildlife, and sometimes the wildlife just does not cooperate. I've driven for 15 hours to try to photograph a rare kingfisher, which is a type of bird, and not been able to find it. And I've also spent days sitting in a photography blind, which is a kind of tent that hides you from animals, to try to photograph a bobcat, and I've never had it show up. Luckily, I love being out in nature, so even if I do not get the photograph I want, I usually have a good time. Oh yeah, I know what that's like. Fieldwork can be hard and unpredictable. There are some things that you can't control that will affect your ability to collect data or samples or take photographs. For example, I travel for almost a day to get to the observatory in Chile, but I never know what the weather will be like during my observations. I can only hope for the best. Well, that actually leads to one thing we wanted to cover in this last episode of the podcast, living with uncertainty. In the field and in life, things change all the time. There are a lot of forces you just can't control. And I think we've all been learning that lesson during this pandemic. It's a good lesson to take on life, too. You know, when I was growing up in a small town in North Carolina, my family had limited financial resources. And it was something that was well out of my control. We lived in a trailer when I was a kid. And although my family was really supportive of my interest, they were always stressed out about money. Because of my childhood, I tend to be a bit afraid of taking risks. And I actually thought I would be a pharmacist for a long time, something I wasn't really interested in, just because it would provide financial stability. As a kid, I also remember having big dreams, but not knowing how I could achieve them without resources. I really wanted to travel, but I wasn't sure how to create the life I dreamed of. I understand that. And that's probably something a lot of people can relate to in these hard times. College is expensive, and a lot of scientific fields require a college degree. It was tough for me as well, but with my parents' support, I started selling prints of my photographs in a local pancake house in my hometown. And I used the money I made from selling the prints to go on my first trip out of the country. I also realized early on that education could be a way for me to achieve my dreams. So I worked really hard in school, and that actually paid off. I remember getting a letter from Brown University saying that I had received a huge scholarship, and that scholarship totally changed my life. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's important to remember you can't control the universe. Sometimes there are obstacles in your path that will slow you down and you can't do anything about them. The important thing is to not let it stop you completely. Definitely. Research is done by humans who of course have lives outside of their work. And those lives include family, friends, and loved ones. Sometimes life will happen and that will require you to prioritize those people in your life over your work. When I was in college, my dad got really sick and I had to prioritize helping my family out at that time. I'm really lucky to have a wonderfully loving and supportive family as well as a network of mentors, and they all eased my ability to be with my family but also not let go of my dreams. Understanding that life comes with uncertainty and uncontrollable forces has helped me realize that we need to grow a strong network of friends to get through the tough times. How convenient that you brought that up. It leads me to the second theme we wanted to discuss, the importance of community and collaboration. When I was younger, I thought of scientists as people who worked alone in a laboratory, probably with no windows. I loved being around people, so I really thought that science was not the career for me. And it wasn't until I started working on research projects that I realized how collaborative science really is. The best projects involve lots of people with many different perspectives. And these days, I get to collaborate with scientists across the United States and from many other countries, such as India and the United Kingdom. I also have a strong network of friends that I can call on when I have a question, whether it's a question about coral reefs or a weird behavior I just saw a bird do. <laughs> I love being part of a community of scientists. Collaboration and community, formally through research groups and informally through mentorship, are the backbone of my support network as an astronomer and researcher. I have been fortunate to have supportive advisors and mentors from the beginning of my journey, when I was a college student, when I was a PhD student, and even now. I've also been lucky to have a gal pal at each step along the way. My research partner in college, Sarah, who was working on the same research project as me, or my best friend and office mate, Shawnee, while I was doing my PhD. And now, as a postdoctoral researcher, I have a fellow colleague and friend, Anjali. These friendships are so meaningful to me because we can support each other, be open with each other when struggling, and also think about cool ways to work together. It's made research so fun. Well, I think we just have one last thing to cover, and that's our advice for young STEM folk looking to do science. What advice do you have, Munaza? Pave your own way. There are a lot of different ways to get to where you want to go. Don't be afraid to explore side projects or interests that don't exactly fit with your end goal, but always remain true to yourself. What about you, Gabby? What's your advice? I think the most important thing is to learn how to be resilient and to not take rejection personally. In the scientific field, rejection happens a lot. Your ideas might not be well received at first, or you might not get a grant or a scholarship you applied for. It can be really hard sometimes, but you have to remember that this happens to everyone. I always try to find ways to learn from moments when everything does not go perfectly or as planned. In this podcast, we've learned about all different kinds of pathways into science and different careers, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many other ways you can contribute to knowledge of our world. And other worlds. Absolutely, Munaza. So we encourage you to ask questions and think about what you're interested in. If you can dream it, you can be it. And as humans, that's how we explore. How We Explore is hosted by Gabby Salazar and Manaza Alam. We talk into microphones, like this, in a studio. This podcast was written by Allison Shaw and Emily Everhart. We write and rewrite, and then research and write again. Rebecca Cunningham is our audio producer. I put all the sounds and recordings together. And Claire Fiesler is our editorial consultant and field recording specialist. Claire interviewed people with Gabby and edited the scripts. Hi, my name is Ijo Liu. Ijo composed this music. 
Hi, my name is Axel Borgmo. Axel makes guitar noises like this. Curtis Cross is our audio engineer. I make sure the audio sounds really nice. Gabby Salazar is our producer, and Emily Everhart is our executive producer. We make sure everything comes together in the right way and on time. Special thanks to all interviewees for agreeing to participate in this project. Don't forget to grab a parent and review the podcast. Let us know what you think. It helps other people find the show.